Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Can you believe it's already November? We are already in the season of Thanksgiving, and right now, I'm thankful for you. What a privilege to be invited into your spiritual journey, even if it's only for a few moments. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team here is committed to helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus, whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. Dayspring is the kind of church that anyone can call home. It's really more of a family. We're the kind of people who will welcome you with open arms just as you are. Nobody here has their act completely together, so don't think you need to either. This is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a safe place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. We like helping people figure out the next steps on their journey. So if you haven't arrived yet, whatever that means for you, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now let's join our service. Well, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I prefer warm sunshine. I like to run outside in the sun. I like to be outside in the sun. I don't mind running in 90-degree weather. In fact, last summer during our heat wave, Jay Hendricks saw me running in the afternoon when it was 99 degrees out. And he emailed me later and told me that he honked at me his crazy pastor who had clearly lost his mind. My response was that running in 100 degrees would have been crazy. 99 degrees was still in the sanity zone. <laughs> All that to say, I prefer the warm sun. Probably because once late fall hits through winter and then into early spring, I'm always cold and I don't like to be cold. They say opposites attract, and in this area, that's certainly true in our house. Uh, I'm always cold, and Dee Dee is always hot. Well, a little less so now that she is flashing her way through that season of life, but most of the time, <laughs> still, she's hot, and I'm cold. Guess who wins? Of course she does. <laughs> Her theory is that it's easier and more appropriate in most settings for me to put on more clothes than for her to do the opposite. So, I am always... <laughs> it's probably best for those of you online who didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> so, I'm always cold this time of year. <laughs> for my uh, survival, I've learned a thing or two. And let me just pass on a tip to you who are like me. It's easier to stay warm than it is to get warm. Did you know that? Uh, here's why. When your body gets cold, it goes into overdrive and burns more fuel to create heat. Uh, the blood vessels at the surface of your skin contract to reduce blood flow as the body goes into survival mode. 
it automatically knows that it has to protect the vital organs. It has to keep the core warm. And the whole process creates stress for your entire nervous system. So it's easier to stay warm than to get warm because when your body is getting warm, it's working much harder than it does to stay warm. It's burning calories, burning more fuel. Your nervous system is stressed out. The same is true for your money, kind of. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, today, we are finishing out our series, If Money Talked. If your money talked, if my money talked, if it could give us advice, what might it say? What would it want us to know? We're all smart people most of the time, and most of what we've discovered hasn't really been a shock to us, even if we haven't been living that way. But I guess that what has been more surprising is the parallel between what our money would tell us if it could talk and what Jesus did say when he talked about money and wealth and possessions. So just to make sure we're up to speed, the first thing we thought our money might say was this. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of your life. As, and we talked about how money actually becomes meaningful when it becomes a means to an end that isn't you, uh, when that, that goes beyond you. When we discover that what we want our life to mean, our money usually follows. Uh, so we ask the question, to what ends do we want our lives to mean? All of us should wrestle this one to the ground at some point because your life will not become meaningful until it becomes a means to an end that's not you. And when you discover the answer to that bigger question in your life, your money will follow you as a tool to help you accomplish those ends. The second thing money might say if it could pass on some wisdom would be, I'm a better servant than I am a master. In fact, your self-control determines which one of us is in control because money problems generally begin with character problems not income problems. Which brings us to the third thing our money might say if it could talk. And again, this parallels what Jesus did say when he talked about money and possessions. Uh, if our money could talk, it might tell us, I'm easy to keep up with. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. Keep up, or you'll be playing catch-up. It's a little like staying warm. When you fall behind financially, when you fall behind in knowing where your money's gone and where it's going, you begin to burn more calories. You burn more energy. You begin to get stressed out. You get more worried. Money requires more of your focus. It takes more of your energy and creates more stress as you play catch-up financially. And let's be honest, there's really no excuse for not knowing where your money's going. There really isn't a good excuse for not knowing where your money went. When it comes to money, not love, not relationships, and not a lot of other things, but when it comes to money, we should never find ourselves saying, well, it seems to me, or I'm not sure, or that can't possibly be. And the reason we should never say those things as it relates to money is because a certain amount comes in, and then we send it places. However much you earn, whenever you get paid, you know how much comes in, 
and then you and your spouse, if you are married, send it places. And we should all know where our money's going, right? There shouldn't be any mystery about where your money's going. When it comes to life, we have plenty of mystery. Love and romance come with mystery. Understanding the opposite sex comes with mystery. Raising kids comes with mystery. Uh, when they hit middle school and high school, there is only mystery and misery. We've got plenty of mystery to keep us busy for a lifetime. But when it comes to money and knowing where it went, there shouldn't be any mystery. But when you lose track of where it's going, it takes over. It takes over emotionally. You know how this feels because we've all been there before, even if we aren't there now. We all know how it feels when money takes over. You feel out of control. You feel like the tail is wagging the dog, and you're trying to hang on for dear life. So if our money started talking, addressing this particular issue, it might say, listen up. I'm easy to track. I'm so easy to track. But if you lose track, you will lose your peace of mind. And if you lose your peace of mind uh, for long, you'll feel like you're losing your mind. This is true for all of us, Christians, non-Christian, religious, non-religious. It doesn't matter who you are. We, we all need to plan for tracking our spending so we know where our money is going. And this is true whether you have a little or a lot. I've talked to people at both extremes. For some, it feels like there's no point in keeping up because it's too hard to keep up. And for others, I don't need to keep up because I have so much, it doesn't really matter. Although most of us live somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. But as we're going to discover today, as Christ followers, we have every reason to keep up with where our money's going. We all need a plan to track our spending, whether it is a little or we have a lot. And, and I'm not talking about a budget, which is good news for some of you because what is a budget? <laughs> and you're thinking, what a waste of time. And yes, everybody should have, to some extent, have a, a budget. But what is a budget, really? A budget is a theory. It's a theory that rarely reflects reality. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a budget in the workplace or a budget in the home. It's just a theory. And at, at work, you might have to be a little more careful because someone is watching over your shoulder. There's a, accountability. But it's still just a theory that rarely reflects reality. It assumes a future. And none of us can predict the future with that level of accuracy. None of us can predict a global pandemic. None of us can predict our water heater going out or our car breaking down or our kid falling down and breaking their arm. We can't predict the bad stuff or the good stuff. So a budget is just a theory that rarely reflects reality. It's just an estimation. A budget is good for estimating, sometimes. But here's the other problem with budgets. Where do budgets live? They live in desktop folders. You spent hours on it. You even made it colorful with graphs. It was perfect and in Excel where it has lived in a desktop folder since the day you finished it. You know where it is, but you never look at it because it's not dynamic. But if you're going to get this part of your finances right, and we all need to get this right, and for the record, I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to you. If we're going to get this right, we're going to need something much more dynamic than a budget that predicts the future but doesn't really do anything but make you feel guilty about what you have or haven't done. So you need a simple way to track your actual spending. 
man, if only there were an app for that. Are you old enough to remember what it was like before we could do this on a computer? Uh, for you kids watching, we used graph paper or ledger paper and a real pen or pencil. And it took hours, and it was obnoxious and mind-numbing. Only nerds like CPAs enjoyed this process. They'd still be wearing pocket protectors if they could if they weren't married to smarter wives. There really is no excuse nowadays. It is so simple now. Some of those apps will actually download every transaction that hits your bank, almost automatically. For the sake of moral authority, I need to bear my soul to you right now. This is a judgment-free zone at Dayspring. Not every church is like that, but here, this is how we operate. When it comes to money, Everything I've talked about up to this point, the last two weeks up to this point in the message, Didi and I do it. I download every transaction from the bank and from credit cards, and I reconcile to the penny. Frankly, it's just way easier when it comes to the tax man to keep up to date and current. But beyond this point, our process breaks down a little bit. If I, I mean, I enter it into Quicken, and since I'm a numbers guy, I have a sense of it in my head at all times. Dee Dee isn't a numbers gal, and she doesn't want to be a numbers gal, and, and we don't like fighting. <laughs> we have a fantastic marriage, but if anything is going to cause conflict, it's going to be money, and we don't like conflict, so we do everything we can to keep money talk to a minimum. I just try to do my best at spending appropriately. She tries to do her best at spending appropriately, and we trust God to meet us in the middle. I'm not saying that is the best way to navigate finances. We need to continue to grow in our communication and understanding with each other in this area. We'll be celebrating 29 years together next month. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get it together in our next decade together. So our failure is that we enter it, but we don't look at it together to see how we did last month or last year. We bypass some of the accountability and conflict that way. But as I think we're going to see in a minute, the complete cycle of keeping track of where our money is going and then looking at the results is a habit that we need to develop if we really want to become the kind of stewards that Jesus is calling us to become. And if we develop this habit, there will be no guessing, which leads to less wondering and less worry and less stress and maybe more peace and righteousness. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever downloaded a financial management app. But have you ever downloaded one of those apps where you log everything you eat? You, you think, I'm going to put in uh, everything that I eat into that app. I'm going to log in every calorie. Some of the apps make this really easy, although unlike the finance apps that download all of our transactions automatically, these require to actually enter everything yourself. Some make it easier than others. So you think, I'm going to have this, and it's 800 calories. I want that, but it's 1,500 calories. But if I don't have these things, I'll save 400 calories, which means I'll have enough calories left over to eat that for dessert. No, that isn't enough. I'll just order a large and make up for tomorrow. Uh, you start playing these games, but what happens? It slows you down. It makes you thoughtful. 
you consider, and then you start figuring out how much some of those foods really cost you calorie-wise. So you're more careful. You begin to protect your calories, saving them up for something later to make sure that you don't go over your calorie allotment for the day. In the paycheck to paycheck seasons of life, which for many of us is all of our life, it's just one long paycheck to paycheck season. But in these seasons, this habit takes the pressure off because it takes the guesswork out. You know where you have to cut back or cut down and when you have to cut back or cut down. This happens to everybody. We all have these seasons. By my count, we've had three of these seasons in our lives. Once when I lost a job, once when Didi lost a job, and once years ago when our entire staff took a mandatory 20% pay cut. And I don't care how spiritual you are or how long you follow Jesus, when that happens, and it happens to everybody, you have to make cuts. And it's stressful. It's never easy to go backwards. But it's easier to go backwards when you already know what has to go. When you already know where you can cut back. And think of how much less stress there is on your marital relationship when there isn't any guesswork. You can both see it in black and white. Or color if you're a CPA nerd. But this habit isn't just helpful when you're in a season of little. It's also helpful in a season of plenty. Because when things are good, we tend to relax and just spend. Because we're going to have food on the table no matter what. We're still going to have a roof over our heads. Still have gas in the car. Things aren't so tight. There's plenty of margin. In those seasons, this habit is helpful because it puts pressure on you. And that's a good thing. Here's what I mean. The more you accumulate, the, the more money, the more stuff, the more wealth, the, the more you have, as you accumulate more, there is more margin. And when you keep track of where your money is going, this habit will confront you with how little you actually give. It'll probably be a little embarrassing, but hopefully motivating too. Hopefully you'll be inspired. Inspired because knowing will take the fear away from giving more from being more generous, because you can always feel like money is tight, no matter how much you have. But once you know where it's going and build the habit of looking at it, it will keep a healthy pressure on you. The more, because the more you have, the more attention you should pay to where it's going. As we're about to discover, it's actually in your best interest to know. Because Jesus said, if you're not careful, those of you who have extra, those of you who have more, those of you who don't necessarily have to be as careful as you should, if you're not careful, you'll begin to hoard for the future. You'll begin to store up treasure on earth, and it will be a source of embarrassment later. Because when you have more of something than you need, you're just not careful, right? When you have more of something than you need in any area, you're just not as careful, and that's why you keep the water running when you brush your teeth or go from the sink to the refrigerator to get something. The water just runs and runs. It's why you don't put a nozzle on the hose when you wash your car and just let the water run down the driveway and into the street. We let water run all the time. Why? Because we have more than we need. When I was a kid helping with the dishes at grandma's house, I never understood why she washed a plate and then turned on the hot water to rinse it and then turned the water off again. Didn't she get that the hot water was hot. It burned my hand every time. It was way easier to just set the temperature to warm and let the water run. 
not when you grew up in the Great Depression where everything was scarce, including the money to pay for that water. It's just human nature. When you have more of something than you need, since you don't have to be careful, you're not careful. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, when it comes to your money, that can't be a factor. It can't be a reflection of the reality of what you do with your money because of what Jesus taught. So I'm going to give you another little challenge. I, I let you off on the first week. Uh, we had one last week, and now here's another one. We'll get to the scripture in just a minute. But first, for two months, just two months, figure out a way to document your spending for just two months. Not just the tracking of, but the looking at. I just want you to spy on your money to see where it's going. Follow it from in to out and to see where it's going and what it's doing. You don't have to use graph paper, just get an app. Some of them are even free. And then at the end of two months, which puts us into January and a good time to evaluate life, at the end of two months, sit down with your spouse and make adjustments if necessary. In fact, if you're married, <laughs> one of you hates me right now, and the other one wants to hug me. I may be sleeping on the sofa tonight. Remember that opposites attract, right? Somebody thinks this is the best sermon ever. Or you're thinking, how can I get my spouse to watch this later? <laughs> I'm not asking you to commit to this for the rest of your life. Just two months. It's not forever. Two months is just 60 days. Knowing you can know is not the same as knowing. And doing the first part of tracking without evaluating isn't knowing either. Two months. If you have kids you might want to think about how to get them involved. My parents and Dee Dee's parents never taught us how to do this to, to our detriment for years and years of our adult lives. Some of you are thinking at this point, this isn't much of a sermon. It's some great practical advice, certainly, and you're right, it, it is practical. But if you are a Christ follower, it is also way more than practical because Jesus specifically taught as to how and why this is such a big deal. So if you're a Christian, you need to take this extra seriously, and it goes back to something that I said last week. You are betting your entire eternity on John's words, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. He was there when Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. John is recording this conversation after the fact, and at the time, no one was sure what Jesus meant. Nicodemus didn't, the disciples didn't, but here on the other side of the cross, it's so clear. John writes, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Many of us have those words memorized, and most of us here in the room and watching even online uh, have prayed some sort of a prayer that encompassed the heart of those words. Something like, God, I believe in your son Jesus, and I'm trusting in you through him for my eternity. So you've already trusted the teaching and words of Jesus for your eternity. And since that time, you've begun to define your relationship with God based on Jesus' invitation to call him Father. You're building your whole life on the hope of this future with your heavenly Father. So why wouldn't you lean in just as strongly to what Jesus had to say about money and wealth and possessions? You invite him into your health when you're sick. You, uh, when you have a prodigal children, you ask him to intervene. You ask him to protect them as they step out into the world on their own. 
You invite God into everything. So why would you hold back when it comes to your money, your wealth, your possessions? Let me answer that for you. Because in all of those other categories, you have no control over them anyway. So it's easier. And in many of those categories, you can't see. You don't even know what's going on. This is what makes Jesus so brilliant. It's why he is a master teacher and storyteller. Uh, even, even if you aren't convinced he's the son of God, it's why you should lean into the teachings of Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew your money and your possessions and your wealth were where the rubber meets the road in your devotion. It's so much easier to give your heart to Jesus than your money. That's why Jesus said that where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Because the ultimate measure, the litmus test of your devotion to God is what you do with your money. A person can't have more than one master. You either serve God or your money. It's the chief competitor with God for your heart. And Jesus knew this. So over and over and over, he says, come on, you're going to trust me with everything else. Your marriage, your children, your health, everything. Would you really hold back when it comes to your money and possessions? Especially since, and Jesus was so clear about this, especially since it's not even yours. You aren't the owner. You're just a manager. Now, if you've brought your Bible with you, go ahead and turn or navigate to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew was a tax collector when he met Jesus. Uh, his gospel, which we conveniently call the gospel of Matthew, uh, records a bunch of parables that Jesus taught. Parables, for the most part, explained how heaven meets earth. They explained the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't a place that you'll go to someday. He isn't talking about heaven in most of the parables. The kingdom of God is the value system of God that was introduced by Jesus. Jesus' parables consistently communicated, this is what the kingdom of God looks like on planet earth as you live out your life. And over and over and over in these parables, Jesus would talk about money and possessions because he knew that this was a key area for us when it came to following him. So let's look at this parable together. It's one you've probably heard before if you grew up in, in the church. In fact, since this parable is so familiar, uh, we aren't going to read it through completely today. I'll let you read the whole thing on your own later. But let's look at the first part. Uh, here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again. Again, because he's talking about something he's talked about so many times before. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the value system of God that he once lived out on earth. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, remember that in a parable, there is always a God figure, and there's always an us figure. Somebody in the parable represents Jesus' audience, and somebody represents God the Father. If uh, you read the whole parable, it becomes clear that the rich man who's entrusting his wealth to these servants is God. And the servants to whom the wealth is entrusted is us, you and me, the followers of Jesus. But here's the question. What percentage of the wealth that the man entrusted to the servants, what percentage of the wealth belonged to the man? All of it, 
And what percentage belonged to the servants? Zero. None percent. We call this easy math. Now, if the man who is traveling at 60 miles per hour leaves Chicago at noon and the servants traveling at 50 miles per hour leaves Seattle at 1 p.m., who gets lost first? That's hard math. This is the easy kind. Master 100%, servants 0%. And this is interesting. One servant is given five bags of wealth, another one uh, two bags of wealth, and then for some unknown reason, the last guy gets one bag of wealth. And while it's only implied here, the, the rich guy says something to the effect of, while I'm gone, I expect you to do with my wealth what I would do with my wealth. And when I get back, and I, I, I hope to have a return on my money. Manage it the way I would manage it. And when I get back, I want to know what kind of return you've gotten me. I'm going to ask you to give an account of my wealth. And if you remember, or if you read it later, you'll see two of them do great. They basically double the money entrusted to them. And that la then that last guy, he just he doesn't do very well. He, he doesn't lose it. He just doesn't have any more to show for it. He buries it for safekeeping. Do you remember what made the difference in the outcome of the story? The issue was not the amount each of them were asked to manage. The issue was what they did with what they were asked to manage. And the point of the parable is that 100% of it belonged to the master who expected a return, and 0% of it belonged to the, to the servants. They were managers, not owners. This is one reason I don't really like the word tithe. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I don't think many preachers have really thought about it because they talk a lot about the tithe. Frankly, that's how I was raised. You give 10%, the tithe, back to God. But here's why I don't like this whole concept, let alone the word tithe. Because it gives the false impression that 100% of it is yours. And if you're a really good Christian, then you give 10% of your money to God. And when you give 10% to God, he's so happy, so grateful that he's just going to bless your socks off. Wow, you just gave me $1 out of 10, and then $10 out of 100, and then $100 out of 1,000, and then 1,000 out of 10,000. But then you look at all those zeros and think, ah, I'm giving so much more than anybody else. I just think of what I could do with my money. And that's where it ends for most people. Tithing gives the impression that it's ours, and we're giving some to God. This may surprise some of you, especially if you're not a Christian or, or if you're new to your faith or you've never studied this topic. This is worth really thinking through. Jesus didn't teach the tithe. Jesus didn't even hint at a tithe. He just came on the scene and said, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a wealthy man who allowed some managers to manage his money, some of it. And it was all his. They managed it. They had to give an account and tell him how well they did with his money. It's all his. Which is great news. Uh, this paradigm, this picture of the kingdom of, of God and how it works that we get from Jesus is brilliant. Because no matter how much you have, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you possess, you never have to feel guilty. You never have to feel guilty or allow anyone to make you feel guilty. Because money managers don't feel guilty, it's not their wealth. They didn't decide how many bags of money the owner entrusted to them. He did. Money managers just feel responsible and accountable 
for a hundred percent of it, whatever it is. This was totally a paradigm shift for Jesus' audience, and the church still struggles with it today, which is really surprising because of all the things that Jesus said that were unclear, this wasn't one of them, which is the reason you should keep track of where your money is going. It isn't your money. As Andy Stanley, who, as I've said, uh, gave us the framework for this series in his study, If Money Talked. As Andy says, we should be knowing where our master's money is going. So you should pay attention, and the more you have, the closer attention you should pay. So create a system and follow through for two months. And if you don't like what you see, adjust. If you realize, how could two people spend that much money on that? How could a person eat that much money? How could a person wear that much money? This is embarrassing. Then adjust. How you and I manage our money speaks volumes about who and whose we are. In fact, it probably says more than anything else about who we are. So pay attention. If you pay attention, you will live better. You will love better. You will be more generous. You will have less fear, more peace, and far more purpose. So if our money could talk, what would it tell us? It would start with, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of your life. It would say, I'm a better servant than I am a master, but ultimately it's your self-control that determines which of us gets control. And then our money would tell us, I'm actually pretty easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. And you will stress yourself out if you lose track of me. And then ultimately reflecting the words and teaching of Jesus, what you choose to do with me speaks volumes about who and whose you are. Let's pray. Uh, Father, in these moments, if we allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves. Most of us don't live like we are managers most of the time. Most of us live like we are owners. But we, we want to be like Jesus. We want to we become everything that he, he has for us in every area of our life, which means that this area of our life Really, we have to have a, a paradigm shift in the way we think. And that is hard because we live in a culture that doesn't view it as someone else's money. It's my money. We're, Im, we're Im, embedded in a culture that has a, a message that's exactly the opposite. We've been indoctrinated. But Father, in each one of our lives, we just ask that you would do what you want to do and that we would be obedient to the life that you are calling us to with whatever you have entrusted to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. 
please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. For those of you who make this ministry possible with your financial giving, thank you for your generosity and faithfulness. We know God is doing something in you when you give, but he also does something through you. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may the Spirit of the living God lead you into His truth and blessing.